Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. All right, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host. And today... Today, we are on to episode 115, and our guest is Catherine Faree. She is the CEO of the Indiana State Museum, and she is going to come on and talk about their exhibit called Fix, Heartbreak and Hope Inside Our Opioid Crisis. I really enjoyed talking to her about this because it sounds like an amazing exhibit that really delves into the opioid crisis from a human perspective and a story that creates compassion and understanding all at the same time. Um, So it was great to talk with her. I would encourage you to check out the YouTube videos. I'll link to them on the site at theaddictedmind.com forward slash 115 because it really helps give you a perspective as we're talking about what they did to create this exhibit. It gives you a perspective to be able to kind of see what we're talking about and to see the, the work that went into making this exhibit about the opioid crisis. And so it was great to talk with her. Uh, it sounds like she has a ton of compassion and understanding and really wants to change the narrative about opioid addiction but also just mental health in general and to really take away that stigma. So I really enjoyed uh, the interview and and talking with her and really could connect to her passion about it. All right, let's go ahead and start this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Catherine Faree, and she is the CEO of the Indiana State Museum. And she is going to talk about their exhibit called The Fix, Heartbreak and Hope Inside Our Opioid Crisis. Catherine, can you introduce yourself? I can. As Dwayne said, my name is Kathy Furry, and I serve as the president and CEO of the Indiana State Museum. We have 12 locations across the states. We have 11 historic sites, and then we have a large museum here um, in Indianapolis. So we work as a system, and one of the reasons that's important is that we were allowed to take this topic, hope the heartbreak inside our opioid crisis, 
and do programming across the state, not only here where the exhibition is, but also use our visitor centers and connect with the communities that we are located in the other 11 communities, not only the Indianapolis area. That's great. So tell, tell me a little bit about how this came to be and how this exhibit just kind of manifested and, and came to be. We, um, I was appointed the president in 2017 and I was talking to a woman about her son who had died of an opioid um, overdose and she runs what's called Overdose Lifeline. And hearing her story um, was really important but I was also raised by two psychiatrists. So I know um, the whole idea of the stigma behind mental health and substance abuse disorder and those types of things and have been raised to be very cognizant of people and their feelings and how much we try to live behind things rather than in front of them. Um, And so we looked for the role that a museum could play in helping with this crisis and what did it look like. So I started talking to people and several people sort of looked at me um, like you want you want what a museum doesn't do that. And I said, yes, right. actually, a museum can do that. Uh, we do a great job of taking um, people into a uh, topic or a theme and putting it in context for them. And then they're allowed to ask questions and be curious and be interested in a topic, particularly this one, that many times after you ask the second or third question, people then start to question you. Why are you asking? What are you thinking? Must be, you know, your mother, something must be going on. Um, And I learned that um, actually because we used to have insurance meetings in corporations. And so I was always the one to raise my hand and ask about the mental health insurance because everybody knew the kid of the shrink could ask that, but nobody else wanted to ask, even though we knew it was important. So I have really recognized this as a need. Um, and Indiana was ranked at the time eighth in the country um, as having the lar- one of the largest opioid crises in the country. Wow. And wow. that we as a state museum and having a statewide presence could make it. Wow. So you really started to see this manifest in the state and through, your, through the story of your friend. And it sounds like really saying we, we have to do something. And we know that mental health is, uh, yeah, a lot of people don't talk about mental health. They, they don't want to. I think that's slowly changing and especially around addiction. So I, I think it's great to be able to put it into a museum and have an exhibit that really talks about it in a reliable way. Right. I mean, museums are a place and actually our um, trust has been growing and growing over the years. People trust museums. We give you information. We ask you to ask questions. We put things in context for you. We're a place where you're supposed to be curious about things. You don't just have to buy it at, at face value. Um, so we know that uh, museums are a place people can come in and learn. And addiction um, is something, a substance abuse disorder is something that people don't always discuss. And what we know is what you don't know um, is where you can go awry. So we wanted an opportunity to really help people understand Um, how people end up with substance abuse disorder, how it happens around opioids, that it is in fact a medical condition, that it is a disease. And we have a giant brain in the exhibition. It's one of the iconic pieces. And you go in and it shows you exactly what happens to your brain, your neurons, and how they respond once you start utilizing opioids and why it is so difficult and such a very, very difficult disease to overcome. Um, unlike uh, other diseases, it also has um, manifests itself in behaviors 
uh, that make it hard for people to really understand. So we wanted to help put it in context um, for everyone, but particularly we worked side by side with the recovery community because we wanted to be sure we told the story um, in the most respectful and honest way that we could. But we also wanted to show that people do recover um, and it is a recovery process. It's not something that happens overnight, um, that people can have setbacks and move forward and backwards and not to always make the assumption that if somebody slips, that they've slipped, not fallen. Um, so we've also given um, a chance for you to look at those recovery, the types of recovery programs that are out there, things that people do, um, yoga, meditating, all of those things that in fact today, people have found themselves in isolation, which people with substance abuse disorder many times find themselves in isolation. So we feel like this exhibition now can help the community in two different ways. One, to help you understand um, recovery processes, but also for you to use today for sort of feelings and situations that people never expected to find themselves in. Um, so we feel like this um, exhibit can actually do um, additional help um, now responding to the epidemic. Absolutely. I watched some of the videos of the exhibit uh, online, and I wish I could come down there and, and check it out because it, it looks amazing. And some of the things that I see you guys doing is really presenting it from a scientific perspective, looking at the research. But also what I really loved about it was that you presented the history of opioids as well. And I think that also puts it in, into context. So I want to know, uh, you know, what were some of the hurdles you had to go through to, to get this out there? Because this is not a common, you don't think of this as a, as a museum exhibit, right? Where, we're, you know, we look at like just history or, or something like this, but this is informative and researched and really presents this whole picture. So I want to hear about that a little bit and getting that done. So museums have been working towards relevancy, um, particularly in the past 10 years. We used to be the keepers of knowledge, and you now have that on your in your pocket, on your phone. You have to look for it, but it still is, we are not the only ones that do the research. We're not the only place you can get information um, besides libraries anymore. So what's the role that we can play in society and what is it we can do to help be a resource so that people can have better lives, make better decisions, make different decisions. And this actually loans itself to that because it is not a new um, phenomena, but it is a very misunderstood um, phenomena. We know a little bit more today than we knew yesterday and we'll know more tomorrow. But not unlike the AIDS epidemic, we did not handle this with as much grace as we would like to have hoped we learned from the AIDS epidemic, where, um, again, that was something we were all afraid of, didn't understand. And now today, we continue with the research, but it doesn't have that same stigma that it had when it first came. Right. So it's the right. unknown that we know and fear that people respond to. So we are trying to help take some of that away so that people can have an understanding one of the most important and probably most difficult things that we did um, was that we had 16 very courageous people come forward to tell their stories. And so we felt that it was really important that people be able to put a face with what substance abuse disorder looks like. And many times it can look like you, it can look like your neighbor, it can look like your aunt, your uncle, your cousin, your grandfather, your doctor, your lawyer. 
Um, and we really wanted people to understand the humanity side of this and really that this, yes, in fact, is a disease and hear the stories about how people find themselves, um, where they find themselves with substance abuse disorder and really get a better sense of how you can make a difference. Um, we, in fact, ask at the end of the exhibition for you to do three things. Uh, one, to change your vocabulary. And there is an um, interactive that talks about um, that someone gets sober, not clean. Um, so things like that. So you can change your vocabulary in such a way that you are talking in fact rather than in name calling, which at the end of the day, it really does end up feeling like to someone, which again, then builds the stigma rather than breaking it down. Um, we ask you to reach out to someone that you may know or think is having trouble um, and just ask them if they're okay. And I think today that is something all of us are doing on a regular basis. And I think we'll all gain from that is taking the time to really listen to one another um, and just be present for people. And the last one is to get Narcon training. It's uh, You can get it very lightly. You can save someone's life. Um, it's not complicated. So um, pre-pandemic, we had hoped to offer some consistent Narcon training across the state. And once things get into the, I call it the next phase of COVID, whatever that looks like, once we're able to go out again, we will pick that training back up again, because it really has saved people's lives over and over again. And we would love to be able to empower people to be able to make a difference, rather than giving you all of this information, teaching you all of this, and then saying, okay, good luck with that. Instead, we're saying, here's what you know, here's what you found out, here's what you've learned, and here are some ways you can utilize it in your everyday life. Um, so that really from start to finish. Um, the other thing we know about museum exhibitions is, as you said, there are people that really kind of look towards the history. There are people that are science-oriented. Um, there are learning styles um, as well. Is some people are visual, some people are, you know, learn auditorily, some people... So what we look for is multiple entry points. So in this um, exhibition, we do give you the history so that those people that need things in context right away and understand where this all started before they can look at anything else and be able to do that. But we also have, it's not a linear experience. You could start with the science and understand that this is a disease and then go back and say, oh, okay, I see, I get the science of it because that's what I know and how I best engage. And now I can go look at the history and understand then how this applies to the world that I live in today. We also have some incredible artists that work with us. Um, what we asked them to do was a little different. We asked them to produce art pieces that could be used as components of the exhibition, not pieces of art that could be shown. So one of the iconic pieces there is a fort. And it's a gentleman who is in recovery himself. He's an artist by training, and he works as a peer counselor today at one of our local hospitals. And he tells his story and utilizes these collars from shirts to produce forts. And so we had to make this incredible fort out of shirt, um, dress shirts that he gets from Goodwill. He has a partnership with Goodwill. And then you go inside and you learn his story. Today, you don't go inside. But when we first started, you could go in. And in the shirt pocket, you could pull out um, notes and, and ways that you could better have an understanding of what his life might be like and things that you might be able to do to make someone who's in that situation feel better. So if it's an artistic person, they may go and start with the fort and then go to the brain and then go to the history. So our goal was to have multiple entry points because we have seen in um, an NSF grant that I did 
where if you can engage people in what they know, then they're able to engage with the other things that will complement that. But if I am a science person and I come into a room and there's no science, it's going to be a lot harder to get me to engage in the history unless you give me something that I can hook on to to understand. If I'm an arts person and I come in and it's all one or the other. So we've made really um, integrated exhibitions so that there we can engage as many people and as many learning styles as possible. What, what I saw in, in some of the videos, and I, I wish I could be there and maybe maybe I'll be able to get out there after COVID and be able to come and, and visit it. But there's two things that really stand out to me is this interactive part, this knowledge part, but also the extreme compassion for someone who is struggling with addiction. And I think it's very hard for people who haven't struggled with addiction to understand it. And, th- and there's been a lot of judgment about it, like just change your behavior, just stop. And to really move into the stories compassionately in this holistic way, I think is an amazing accomplishment. We also thank you. And that that's our goal. But we also want to pull it apart for people because they do think it's a choice, right? right. You choose to be addicted to opioids or you choose to and that's a component of the exhibition where we talk about um, cravings and, um, you know, society has now been trained. There's a p- component in the museum where a phone will go off and you can see all of the visitors reach for their phones, right? So it's a trained behavior. People are always, you know, looking at things. Some people um, shopping, some people it's tobacco, alcohol. They're all different things, but opioids has an ability to take a hold of your brain in a way no other drug does. And so there's an exhibit, an interactive called CraveBots, where there are robots that you try to get to do a process and their craving just overtakes them. So we're trying to help demonstrate for people what this looks like, feels like, sounds like, so that you can be more empathetic. And then you understand, oh, I see, they can't just stop doing this. Um, It's much more complicated than that. And recovery is different for every person. Um, Some people respond to the 12-step program. Some people respond to yoga. um, Some people respond to meditation. Some people use all of it. But we want people to really better understand so that they can then be more compassionate and have um, an opportunity uh, to really contribute to the benefit of someone they know that may be suffering or in in a difficult situation rather than quite frankly, making it worse. And when you do things like say to someone, we just stop doing that, um, then they start isolating, right? So, and part of the drug, you know, part of substance abuse disorder um, is feeling alone to begin with. So the, the idea that if we could break some, break out some of that stigma and that isolation, we feel like we will have then made a real difference. Definitely. And I think that really helps shift the community outlook on addiction to one of recovery and one of hope and one of the possibility of change because it can feel pretty hopeless when when you're there but you know there is help one question i had was what was it like when you proposed this exhibit and what was the reaction and then what is the reaction now that it's been up and people have seen it and I will tell you, our board of trustees is an incredible group of people. Um, I had been here less than a year when I asked them if I could pursue this topic, and they unanimously voted yes. 
They were really interested in the idea of relevancy, the idea of statewide community. Um, and we did end up working with over 50 community partners across the state. So we really dug into this in a way to be sure that it wasn't the museum talking, but it was experts talking, it was people in recovery talking, it was people with substance abuse disorder talking. Um, so internally with our board, um, it was actually relatively easy, to be honest, because they're a very forward-thinking board of trustees. And that made my job easier because I knew I had the backing of our leadership. So it did take me a little over a year to get people to begin to understand that we really could play a part. And um, we recently won an award from the American Midwest Museums for our work in thought leadership and community building. And the gentleman with the state, um, Doug Hunsinger, who was one of our initial partners, who is our drug czar currently, said to a colleague of ours, you know, the people in Washington, because we did use, um, were able to use federal funding as a part of op uh, the opioid process, the state, the country's been going under. The people in Washington just couldn't wrap their heads around this. But now that they've seen it, they really are starting to understand it. So it's like almost anything else. There are some people who can get there with you and understand for a multitude of reasons. Um, you know, Doug, as the drugs are for the state of Indiana and Jim McClellan before him, they're working in that environment and in that community. So they were able to get there much more quickly than some other people might have been. But since then, people have been very excited and interested in the fact that we make it a positive, not a negative. Um, and many times we have, unfortunately, um, demonized or not shown things in a positive light. And what we're trying to say is this is a disease that people are struggling with and you can help them. This is a disease that you could be struggling with and we hope this helps you. Yeah, that's amazing. As you're talking, I was also thinking, I'm like, how did you, I guess, corral all of this creativity? <laughs> because just from the videos of, 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 I watched the YouTube videos walking through the exhibit and, and seeing it. And I'm just like, this is amazing. And it's, it, it seems so huge. And I'm just wondering, like, you have all these people and how did you put all that creativity together to bring it from all these different angles to be able to view this problem in this interactive way? We work with, I have the privilege of working with some really incredible people. And I will tell you, there were days where the team was like, she's out of her mind. This can't be <laughs> um, The good news is some of them I've worked with for years, so I know what they're capable of. The good news is that I am persistent, if nothing. Um, and I had a lot of faith in this group of people. We, our production staff is incredibly talented. Kathy Donnelly, who served as the exhibit developer, has done difficult topics before. Um, Brian Mancuso. Um, has the ability to wrap his um, head around an idea and really bring it to the forefront um, in the way I, I have not seen many other people be able to do. Adam DeKemper, the designer, really hooked on to the idea of light and color and brightness, as did um, Jordan, our um, graphic designer. So the team did all of this. My job was to continue to support them in believing that I believed in them. Right. And I did. And the, as I said, the board believed in us and I believed in them. And so it was some days a bigger leap of faith, I think, than they're used to. But as a general rule, 
it was also an incredible opportunity. Um, it was an opportunity to meet people in a place you didn't, you may not normally have met them. It was an opportunity to allow people to tell a story in a way that they hadn't been able to tell before. So we really believed in what we were doing. And I think that that makes all of the difference when you work on a project that could seem insurmountable. Um, we knew that if we put the right pieces in place, that we could really make a difference. And Mark Rushman, our curator of fine art, really did an incredible job of identifying artists who could also understand what we're talking about. Um, because it's not often you ask an artist to produce something that can be a component of a museum rather than a piece of art in a museum. So um, when you talk about history, our chief curator, Susanna Kerber, um, is a Lincoln expert. Um, and Mary Todd Lincoln um, had substance abuse disorder, if you go back and look at it. So it goes back a ways. So that really allowed her um, to show off part of our um, Lincoln collection and to really put in context for people that this is not new and that we have been struggling with this for a very long time and that we need to continue to move forward um, and do a better job each time we get more information. Absolutely. And and I just want to, to say putting this out there into the world and being able to have people walk through this, I think it's just going to help a ton of people. And I think it's going to really create an environment where people can understand addiction and we can change the way we look at it in order to be able to help people who are struggling with it. And I think this is this exhibit is such a step in that direction. And I was I'm so excited that you you came onto the podcast and talked about it and, and present it. And I would say to anybody out there who wants to know information, more information about it or see it, they can go to the addictedmind.com and and check out the links of the of the YouTube videos that you guys have because it's it is really, really amazing. And I'm I'm just so thankful that you're doing it. I usually, when people are on the show, I, I ask them like, before they go, what's one thing that they want to tell someone out there who might be struggling with addiction or has a, has a loved one struggling with addiction? What, what's, the, what's the one message you want to get out? Uh, to have faith in people and to reach out because we will, at the end of the day, people will help one another. Um, so please look for help because uh, there is always help somewhere. Awesome. I think that's great. Jasmine, thank you so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind. If people want to see this, what's the website they can go to? Uh, www.indianamuseum.org. And that awesome. will bring up um, our website and then it will connect you to our fixed exhibition. Um, there's an interactive on there as well, talking about language. So there are some of the things that you can glean from um, our website that will help you better understand what it would be like to see the exhibition. And we have extended it through August 1st of 2021 in hopes that more people will be able to come to the museum and see it. Yeah, I would imagine that COVID's kind of put a little bit of a, which is kind of a bummer, but it's there. I I, I, um, I think we're going to get there pretty soon here, hopefully, that we'll be able to be able to do that and be in person and people can even get more out of it. So Thank you once again so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast. I'm going to put all those links into the show notes so you guys can just go to theaddictedmind.com, find those. And once again, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Thank you. And thank you for all the work you're doing with helping to break down the stigma. Um, if all of us do our part, we can move this forward in a positive way. Absolutely. 
All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. All the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com 115. Once again, encourage you to check out those videos. Uh, it's a pretty amazing exhibit. And uh, what a cool thing that they were able to create and do and uh, bring to the world. So check it out. Once again, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us in iTunes. That helps get the podcast a lot of exposure and helps promote it or share the podcast with a friend or share it with somebody you think could benefit from listening to The Addicted Mind. I really appreciate it. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day and I will talk to you on the next episode. It's easy to blame ourselves for our struggles with alcohol. We see people around us being able to control their drinking without any consequences, yet no matter what we try, we can't seem to figure it out for ourselves. My name is Jillian Teets, and I am the host of the Sober Powered Podcast, where I use my biochemistry background to explain the latest research in addiction and help you understand both why you drink the way you do and how to develop the skills and mindset you need to find freedom from alcohol. I discuss topics like why we think about our drinking 24-7, why we have no off switch, and why we crave alcohol. If you're struggling with your drinking or you know someone who is, then I hope that you will check out the Sober Powered Podcast. New episodes every Friday. See you there.